Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Next week is Halloween. When you guys all know that kids get dressed up in costumes and go trick-or-treating. And I personally uh, don't like it because of the secular pagan traditions behind it. But I do find kids dressing up cute. So I have no problems kids not knowing in their ignorance, just, you know, going out and having fun. But what I do have problem with is when adults get dressed or pretend to be someone they're not. And it's not just Halloween thing. I'm talking about people who put on an attire, dress, with the intention of fooling others that they are someone they're not. You guys know what I'm talking about? I've seen enough of that in secular business world when I was in Washington, D.C. area. (laughs) It was like Halloween all year round. There were some people who wore masks, and you couldn't trust them. And I don't like that because whether people put on physical masks or spiritual masks, there are people who present themselves to be someone or something that they are not. And so I don't like that. But what do you do when you realize the reality, the truth of who they are? What do you do? Because at least in the business world that I came from, people presented themselves to be someone or something with the intention to win you over, win the the contract, to win the opportunity, or whatever it is. But what if they present with a false deception and then you realize the truth? How do you respond? Nobody likes being duped. Nobody likes being hustled, right, or tricked. It makes you feel violated in some way. What do you do? Well, logic says one. There's an instinct that teaches us, well, if they lie to me, then I don't have to honor this agreement. I don't have to honor the contract. And this is why attorneys make a lot of money, right? And that's prevalent in our culture today. But from our scripture today, and we're continuing our sermon series in the book of Joshua, we arrive in chapter 9, and it's interesting that the Israelites encounter a group of people who deceived them, made an oath, And I want you to notice what the Israelites did in response to the deception of this people group. And I want us to consider, how are we supposed to learn, or what are we supposed to learn from this lesson? And I want you to consider that, wrestle with it, because it's not our natural instinct to do what they did. You guys understand? So turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. I will read from the ESV version for you. Uh, I will cover in a summary of the whole chapter as we go along because I don't want to read everything for you. But I do want to encourage you guys, please mark in your Bibles, follow along with me as you can, and, and study the background on your own as you will. Joshua 9, 1 through 6. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland 
all along the coast of the Great Sea, towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Verse 3, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskin worn out and torn and mended with worn out patches, sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. Verse 6, And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. So let me, let's take a step back. Verse 1 and 2 reveals the setting of what is going on in the story. And last week in chapter 8, we talked about how Joshua and the Israelites conquered Ai. God gave them strategy. God who calls you gives you strategy to overcome and to have victory. And then, so their reputation is being spread in the land of Canaan. And the promised land that God has said, hey, go and take this land. Now the reputation is spreading like wildfire. The people living in that land, all the different people groups heard. And so what do the kings do? They conspired and made alliance with one another. We're going to all defeat Israel because they're a viable threat. Okay? That's a strategy that they took on. But one people group, uh, people Hivites, that's the people group, but they were living in Gibeon which is a geographic location. And they instead thought, rather than making alliance with these kings in their neighborhood, they're going to go to the Israel to make peaceful alliance with them. And so they came in a trick-or-treat disguise. And this is a setting. This is... They acted as if they were coming from a very distant country. They took on worn-out clothes, worn-out luggage, worn, you know, they called it sacks. They were, uh, even bread, they made it look like it was stale and dry. And, it was just like everything was to look like they have traveled a long, long ways. And I wonder if they knew what God had said. I, and there are things that I don't know. So, you know... Uh, I love studying the Bible, but there are still like gaps that we just don't know because the Bible is silent on it. But there is a reason why they did this. And I'm wondering, how did they know? But that's just my thing for you. How did they know? Because God told them, the Israelites, while they were still in the wilderness on the other side of the Jordan River, God told them, when you go into the land that I have promised you in Deuteronomy chapter 18, you are to annihilate everybody in the land that you're going to live in. Otherwise, they're going to influence you. But to the people from far distance, if you go to them and offer a peace treaty, and they open the draw gates for you and they allow you in, then you are allowed to have them live peacefully. But you can you're to still kill off the fighting men, but you're allowed to live peacefully together because they're in a distant land. But people in the near... There was a very specific directions from God that says, don't make a treaty with them. You guys understand me? Okay. So it, it's, 
I find that the Gideonites, Hivites people, I find interesting that they, instead of making alliance with their neighbors that they have been living together with for a while, decided, I'm not going to make alliance with you. I'm going to make alliance with the Israelites. Makes me wonder, is it faith or is it fear? Right? It's something to consider. Because I, I look at them, it could be like Rahab, who heard and had faith that God is with this group. And also recognizing, I know who my peers are already. And it's not smart to be, make alliance with them. You know, even in business world, there's, uh, and you might have heard some speakers say this, it's like, take a look at the five of your closest friends. You're the average of the five. Or take a look at who is closest to you, and then you recognize what you're going to be like. If you are surrounded by winners, you'll probably be raised up to their level. If you're surrounded by stupid people, you'll probably drop a little few IQ. You guys understand? Many people, including maybe your mother, have tried to keep you from hanging out with stupid people. Why? Because eventually you're going to do stupid things. Who you hang out will, will influence, who you will make alliance with will influence your actions, your decisions, and your future. You, you can almost predict your future by who you make alliance with. So Gideonites, interestingly enough, decided we're going to do what it takes to make alliance with Israel, even if that comes in deceiving, right? So they dress up. Um, and they come, and I'm wondering, and, and this is, yeah, well, thank you, Ethan. <laughs> we arrive at Deuteronomy chapter 20 when God called them, and this is the very direction. And I'm wondering if the, if the Israelites, if the Gideonites already knew this and said this, however in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, this is the near country. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God have commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. The Lord had very clear direction of why he didn't want his children, the people of God, to be influenced by the neighbors. It's not that God wanted to kill, and, and I think there is judgment to be said about the land of Canaan. But there, is all the other mics off? Okay. <laughs> there is something to be said about the, um, God's, God's desire to protect his children. But he knew, foresaw, that if any of those neighboring people were left behind, they're going to influence their decision and impact. And we see... I'm afraid to speak now. Okay. So, the Hivites come with peace offerings. And here's what happened in verse 14 of Joshua 9. They came, and, and we read that. They presented themselves with the evidence. And then 
the men of Israel, this is the response of the Israelites, they sampled the provisions. This is the, the hard bread that they brought. They looked at the evidence of the worn out clothes, and the, but did not inquire the Lord. Verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. I want you to know that they did not inquire of the Lord. They looked at the evidence. Then they ratified it with an oath. The leaders looked at with their own eyes. What looked good to them, what looked logical to them, they did not inquire of the Lord. And then they took an oath, made a covenant, alliance with this people group that actually they weren't supposed to. But when they made an oath, it was in the name of the Lord. Meaning they were putting the seal of stamp of God's name within that covenant alliance that they made. But this is where the drama unfolds. Three days later, they're continuing in their conquest, and they're ready to conquer the ne next cities, and then they realize Gibeon was in the next town. You know, I looked it up, the distance, and they said in kilometers, I converted that. It's anywhere between 8 to 16 miles away. That is like from here to Dade City. That is shorter than from here to Brandon or the Tampa campus. That is so far with our cars today. But even back then, even through the hills, they're not that far away, guys. And they felt like we got duped. And so what do you do when you realize you've been duped, you've been hustled, you've been lied to? Oh, I'll be angry. Because the Israelites went to attack, and then they realized who they were, and they stopped their attack. They came back to their base, and like, Joshua, what are we going to do? We just made an alliance, but they lied to us. Well, here's what they did. Uh, verse 19. First, they grumbled, like I would grumble. I, I totally get that. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do. We will let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. For the leader's promise to them was, so the leader's promise to them was kept. So the Israelites said that, they made an oath by the Lord. They recognized, they made a promise and recognized that they had to keep it or that the wrath would fall upon them. And they decided to keep the promise even though it was in the pretext of deception. Why? Why would they do something like that? I see two main reasons. One, when, as I mentioned, when they ratified the oath, the covenant and alliance, the name of the Lord was in the agreement. Because they swore in the name of God. You guys ever say, I swear. I swear to God. Have you ever heard, I swear to my mama's grave. I swear to my daughter's whatever. I, I've heard all that. Why? They were trying to put something of higher power into it. The, and there was no higher name than God's name. And when they made such a covenant, it was the covenant that they understood and knew. And they 
ratified it with such covenant. And so if anyone breaks that, they believe the name that's in the oath, God's name, he will curse whoever breaks that covenant. But two, just because you're wrong doesn't mean you have to wrong others. Two wrongs doesn't make a right. I want to say a joke, but I'm trying to hold myself. Two wrongs don't make a white. There's a joke behind that. But I'll get in trouble, and I can hear my wife whispering, don't say it. So I won't. All right. All right. Two wrongs don't make a right. You know, Asians can say an Asian joke. You just can't repeat it to anyone else. (laughs) Okay. Even if you feel wronged, you don't have the right to wrong others. Why? Because we're called to a higher standard than the standards of the world. The logic says if they have have deceived us, if they have made an alliance or covenant or agreement based on wrongs, deception, we can get on the turn and get out of it. That's how our logic works, especially in our 21st century Western world. But when God's name is in that covenant, we're called to a higher standard than what works to our logic. And that's what we're recognizing here with the Israelites. They were people of God. There's a standard of God's righteousness that was in them, that was in the covenant, and they recognized that they still had to honor this. You know, there was a time when what people said meant something. That their word was their bond. The word is an oak or is something like that. It, it, the idea is when you say my word is my bond, it, it's, it's secure. You can trust me on that. To say my word is an oak, it's strong, stable, unbreakable. People said expressions or idioms like that to say, I mean what I say. You can trust me. I will not break my promise. But somewhere along the way in our Western culture, we have learned to distrust everyone, including the media and the news. That's supposed to just report facts. You guys understand? We're supposed to just see the facts and and take it, but now we're not even believing the news that's supposed to report facts because there's more opinions than there are facts in, in some of these news. We have learned to even read the things on the media and wonder what is a source? I don't know if you guys do that. You should. What is a source? Who's writing it? What's their lens that they see through? And am I supposed to believe that? And this world is, especially our country, is so divided because... Some believe in certain groups, and some believe don't believe in other group. And we discern the sources because we distrust the other group. And that's the culture we live in today. We learn to distrust our political leaders, our community leaders, and even our pastors. How sad is that? I mean, I would love for you guys to say, uh, you see me as a pastor, and you believe me, and you trust me, and I will... I would love to see that, but I know better. I'm not that naive. Because what do people do even within the church? I have seen pastors abuse their power, right? And so they're only human. They still make mistakes. I don't care what academic training you had. I would still take it, consider it, and I would make my own decision. That's what we do. 
I'm going off tangent here. <laughs> but there's a reason why I think there's, especially in our country or in our state, Morgan and Morgan and groups like that are doing so well. Because people are not keeping up their word. They're compromising. People are breaking their word and they're constantly fighting. People are not holding to their word. And that is not God-like. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, simply let your yes be yes and no, no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Meaning, hold to your word. You don't have to swear by God. You should be credible. People should be able to just, by you just saying it, you should, they should take what you say and believe that. Because the words that we say should be trustworthy and should be, we should be able to depend on it. The Israelites held themselves to their oath because it was the right thing to do. They let their yes be yes. Even though they were not honored, they decided to honor the oath. Even though they were deceived, they decided to honor God. I believe that when we honor people, even when they don't honor us, I believe God will honor us. Do you guys understand that? When we do the right thing, even though others around us don't, God honors. God brings his justice. And I've seen that many times. We are called to a higher standard. This is what integrity is. It's doing the right thing even when we're not seen. Even when we don't get the credit, we do the right thing, and that is integrity. I want us to consider this big picture here of uh, the Israelites, because they're kind of rocking a hard place, right? They were not supposed to make agreement with the Hivites in the first place. God outlined in Matt, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, very clearly, annihilate, destroy them all, otherwise they're going to influence you. Don't make treaty with them. But they did. So what do they do? They honor it. And if they were to break it, they recognize that the curse will come upon them. Do you guys understand that? So they were not supposed to, but because they did, they still honored it. And we see from the scripture that there's a time when King Saul, he broke that covenant. So I want to give you a snapshot. 2 Samuel chapter 21, 1 through 2, and I'll read it for you. I'll give you the backdrop. There was famine in the land of Israel. Okay, King David's in power. And um, there's famine for three years. So David goes to the Lord and he inquires, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord gives, says this. There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel but of the remnant of the Amorites, although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, this is Joshua 9, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. So Saul, when he became in power and he's like going into the military campaigns, in his zeal, he wanted to wipe out, he just wanted to win because you guys remember the, the chance that they used to say Saul slays 1,000, you know, David 10,000, things like that. It got to his head. He just wanted victory. Gibeonites should have never fought back because they were like, don't worry, we're spared. We're, we're safe. Saul annihilated them. He broke the covenant promise. He broke the oath. 
So he's not a king anymore, but on the land of Israel, there is a famine. And David's like, what's going on? And you have to read that story because David tries to correct the wrong on the behalf of his own country. But it was because of this, Joshua 9, and, and the covenant, the oath. Israelites knew if we break this oath, God's going to bring curse. And that was kept until Saul sinned. So, what can we learn? The Israelites who weren't supposed to make the covenant did, but even then, they did the right thing to honor the oath. That was the right thing to do. Even though God did not want them to make the covenant, it was God who didn't want them to make the covenant. But because they still did, he still didn't want them to break the oath. God honored the exchange and the agreement. Even if it was based out of deception, God still honored that and fought for the Gibeonites that he initially said, annihilate them. You guys see how this works? The Israelites had to do the right thing because God's name was in them and in the agreement. Now, there are times I recognize that we get into involved in situations where agreements with people who lie to us, deceive us, hurt us, present us something one and do another in the background. And I can tell you I've experienced that from my business world, my friends, relationships, and it's so painful. And I think even this morning, um, yeah, I'm still getting over some of these things. I'm, as God brings to recollection some of my pains, I'm constantly, Lord, I forgive them. I let it go. But the pain is still there. Do you guys understand? Uh, some, some of my broken relationship of my old friendship, it, it goes so deep. It felt like a divorce. It was so devastating. That when somebody I had once trust and loved and considered like my brother hurts me, it hurts you all the more because I place so much value and trust in that relationship. And it's so easy to be tempted to wrong them because they have wronged me. So easy to daydream. <laughs> what you could do. You know? So easy. But that's not from the Lord. You guys know that, right? God doesn't want us to be the, the vessels of destructions, but the giver of life, the overflow of his life into us that we overflow unto others. That's God. He came to give us life and life to the fullest, not to destroy us. That's the devil. And if we act in act of destruction in the motive and the heart from hatred, bitterness, or anguish, that's the devil. So I understand, I'm saying that I understand the sadness and the disappointment and the pain that comes from somebody deceiving us and hurting us and, or betraying us in all of that. But we are called to a higher standard. I'm not saying that's easy. But we are called to be people of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. But when we are hurt, and I know people who 
who went through that, they have a hard time trusting again. But if you can't trust, you can't have relationship. If you can't have relationship, that's in everything. That's marriage, family, school, relationships, church. And I've been hurt in all of those places. But you can't experience life as God desires to release onto us if we can't trust. So what do we do? I, I think this is all the more why I, I love the resting place core values. And if, you go, if you're brand new to our church, then um, I welcome you to check out our website, what we believe, who we are. But we have three core values. So there's, our mission is for the lost, found, found free, for peace to reign. But our core value is we honor everyone, we empower everyone, and we have faith for everyone. Three core values. We honor everyone, we empower everyone, we have faith for everyone. Now, I can tell you that honor is not an agreement. Honor is about assigning value. We recognize the value of you. Because Christ, our Lord, thinks you're to die for. Because he died for you, he gave you value. Not for your, what, you're, what you can do to add value. Your intrinsic value of who you are in identity of God has given you as a child of God. We honor that. We may not see eye to eye in a lot of things, but we will honor you because of the value that you, who is in you, Right? We empower everyone. That means we don't want to just believe that the church can be something of a vision without acting on it. I know a lot of you guys are doing your own ministry, and you're commissioned, you're called, you act on it. And we want to give power, empower, opportunities. We can't just say, oh, we believe in women in ministry without having women in ministry. You guys understand? We have to empower them to put in position to be able to lead, able to preach or speak, to lead a group. And that is to give power. And that, I can tell you, is hard to empower everyone because you have to take risks. You have to have faith in them. And that's where the third, we have faith for everyone. And that is to be prophetic, to see your identity, your destiny in the spiritual realm of how God sees you. And that, that faith requires risk. Oh, that's hard. And that is to do things recognizing that it may not come to fruition or the outcome that we may expect. It may be different. God's expectation may be different from our expectation. But we have to work in all that. We have to honor everyone. We have to empower everyone. We have to have faith for everybody. Taking risks. That is our core value. I'm not saying we are a perfect church. But stemming from our core values, we honor even those who don't honor us. We honor them and the oaths and the words that we speak in their Lies, even if they hurt us, betray us, or lie to us, intentionally or unintentionally, we honor, we empower. 
And we have faith. We take risks. You know, um, what's that? Fool me once, fool me twice. Or how does that go? Okay, say that again loud. That's the world's definition. We won't be hustled twice, right? Because we're smarter than that. But we have to take the risks. And that's what I'm saying is so hard. We honor even those who don't honor us. Whew, this is heavy. Anyways, I'm going to um, welcome the prayer team up. I want to leave on this bright note. I think even as I share all this, the heaviness and the pains that we may have felt were the flashbacks of maybe some of your past pains. It's a constant letting go. You guys understand? I have forgiven the people who have wronged me and thought I was done, but then I realized it wasn't done when you get a flashback, you get a remnant, you get a call or email, and then you realize, oh, we're flash, you know, Facebook, somebody you know, sending you a message, and you're like, well, I, I thought I dealt with that, but there was more to be done. And the Lord reminds us. I, I'm saying this is a process that we all go through, and it's not just something that we overcome and be done away with because there will be other people who may dishonor us in the future. And we have to learn to deal with it now so that we know how to deal with it in the future. Learning to forgive those who have wronged me was the best lesson I ever learned. It was the hardest. There were moments I was on the floor weeping and saying, this is mine, the vengeance is mine. This is, I'm going, and I had, it was like really bad. I had plots, plans, four or five years, I'm gonna get them when they're least expecting. That was bad. And I held to that, and the Lord said, I want you to give it to me. And I said, no, Lord. And I fought the Lord, arguing. I said, I'm going to get my vengeance. And God said, let me give it to me. And the moments I did, I didn't do it easily, but I did, with a lot of tears. And the Lord brought about restoration in the coming weeks. You know, there, uh, there's a, where Jesus says, I give you the keys, right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on heaven will be whatever you bound on earth will be loose. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, right? And there's a direct correlation. And if you, uh, he said that twice in two different contexts. And where he did, he, he brings in forgiveness. That there is this freedom and loosing related with forgiveness. I want you to study that. I'm telling you, that didn't make sense to me until I forgave that guy. He wasn't a brother. He was not a believer. But he was a very close friend of mine. When I forgave him, two weeks later, I haven't seen that guy in like, at that time, five years. But within two weeks of that forgiveness, in the most random public place, the Lord brought about meeting him and we had this small talk and just the thought of him used to anger make my blood boil 
And when I saw him, I had complete peace. And we were talking, and he said, he did a lot of evil to others before, but he said that one time against you, that was the only regret I've ever had in my life. And he apologized to me. And I've never heard that guy ever apologize to anyone, but he apologized to me. And he brought about such peace in that moment, and I never had to think of bitterness or anger towards him ever after that. What I'm saying is God prepares our hearts to forgive before he actually does something tangible in our lives. And that may be the very breakthrough that you may need. I don't know what that looks like. But sometimes we hold back God because we're harboring something in the tangible flesh in this world. And God says, I, I'm calling you to a higher standard. I'm calling you to something deeper and bigger. You guys understand? So, with your eyes closed, I don't know if the Lord is saying anything that is bringing to you any pains or hurts or anguish or unforgiveness. Um, those who have hurt you, dishonored you, I want you to let it go. And if this is something that you've been harboring for many years, maybe you need help. Uh, the prayer team is here to help you and to lead you and to pray with you, partner with you, to come into agreement in the heavenlies um, for you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I, gosh, this is the first step. I want you to come and to receive Jesus, the Lord who took all our sins, even the pains and the hurts and we, the dishonor we gave towards God, He forgave us on that cross once and for all. And He can give you the new life. You can come to receive the prayer. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.